This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi everyone, my name is Stein Ingebretson. I'm an internal medicine physician, and today we're going to be talking about medical problems in the wilderness. There's a lot of information to cover, uh, so this will be split into two different segments. First, think of the differences in having a serious medical problem while you are at home, knowing there's medical help nearby, and compare that to having a serious medical issue when you are in a remote section of the backcountry and have no clue how to get help. Some medical problems occur with higher frequency in the backcountry, while others occur about the same rate while at home. By being able to recognize the signs and symptoms of serious medical conditions, you can provide a proper treatment plan for someone in the wilderness and potentially save their life. We're going to be covering a variety of medical conditions. We're going to be doing so by system. The first system we're going to be talking about is the cardiovascular system. Not long ago in the mountains surrounding Chamonix, France, a 56-year-old gentleman began having chest pain while hiking on the famed Tour du Mont Blanc. Friends and family were the only people nearby. The man survived and was ultimately brought out by a rescue team, but it was only after many hours. Evaluating and treating cardiac problems can be difficult in a hospital setting where the full spectrum of diagnostic equipment and treatments are available. It is even more difficult in the wilderness. So let's go over the basics of backcountry care of cardiac problems. First up is angina or angina. Angina is the term given to chest pain that is associated with diminished blood flow to a portion of the heart that does not actually cause damage. It is cardiac ischemia, which is low blood flow, but not necessarily infarction, which is death of heart muscle. Angina results from an imbalance between cardiac muscle oxygen demand and oxygen supply. This supply may be restricted due to atherosclerotic disease. But there are many reasons for an imbalance in oxygen supply and demand to occur in the wilderness. For example, there's an increased exertion that causes increased cardiac work. People are in cold temperatures, which creates peripheral vasoconstriction and increases cardiac work also. Fear, mental stress, and or pain, all of which increase the release of catecholamines or adrenaline, uh, which those in turn increase both heart rate and blood pressure. There can be decreased pressure of oxygen as a person gains altitude, which results in less oxygen being delivered to the heart also. There are two different kinds of angina. The first is stable angina, and stable angina is chest pain due to cardiac ischemia that is well known to the patient for a period of several weeks, months, or possibly years. It is commonly due to stable atherosclerosis in the coronary arteries. The patient knows the symptoms and usually knows what level of activity causes those symptoms. The other kind of angina is unstable angina. Unstable angina is new chest pain that is concerning for cardiac ischemia or a changing pattern in formerly stable angina. This is commonly attributed to a worsening of atherosclerosis in the coronary arteries or a sudden rupture of an atherosclerotic plaque with the formation of a partial clot in the coronary artery. Symptoms of both stable and unstable angina are chest pain and or pressure. This is often described as a squeezing or a tightness. The pain is usually in the center of the chest, but it may occur unilaterally or even across the entire chest. The pain 
may radiate to the arms, jaw, neck, or back, typically more towards the left side of the body. Victims may have shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting, lightheadedness, or they may actually faint. They can also sweat quite a bit. Treatment for angina includes any steps to reduce the oxygen demand of the heart muscle. Also, rest is the key to the recovery of anginal pain. You should minimize exposure to the cold and also reduce your elevation when possible. Also, provide oxygen to the patient if you have it available. There are a variety of medications that can be used as well. The patient might have been prescribed a drug called nitroglycerin, or NTG. It is given as 0.4 milligrams sublingual. This may be repeated every five to 10 minutes until the pain is relieved or until three tablets have been given. After three tablets have been given, you may continue to give the nitroglycerin if it is working and if that's all you have, which is usually the situation. However, when going beyond the initial three nitroglycerin tablets, it should be given with a greater time interval between the tablets. If symptoms do not resolve after three tablets, you should assume the patient is having a myocardial infarction and begin immediate evacuation plans. The biggest side effect of nitroglycerin is a drop in the blood pressure. If the patient has a strong radial pulse, then it is probably safe to give them at least one tablet. You should have the patient lying supine when you give them the nitroglycerin. If there's any concern of dropping the blood pressure too much, or if the patient is ill-appearing, then it may be prudent to not treat with nitroglycerin. This is because the nitroglycerin can help the pain, but it will not stop or treat a myocardial infarction. 325 milligrams of aspirin chewed is also possible. It is chewed to ensure that it is rapidly absorbed. Aspirin is an antiplatelet agent that may decrease the formation of thrombus in the coronary arteries. It is proven to decrease mortality in myocardial infarction or a heart attack. It does not help with angina, but in the backcountry, it is never clear if the patient is having just angina or an actual heart attack. All patients with unstable angina must be evacuated from the wilderness as soon as possible. Now, acute myocardial infarction, or an MI, is the term given to chest pain that is associated with absent or diminished blood flow to a portion of the heart, which causes myocardial tissue death, or infarction. The most common etiology for an MI is an atherosclerotic plaque in one of the coronary arteries that ruptures, causing the formation of a clot within the artery. This clot obstructs the blood flow distal to that obstruction. If that clot is not relieved as soon as possible, myocardial cell death will occur within 15 to 60 minutes with larger areas of, of infarction as time progresses. The symptoms of MI, or myocardial infarction, are very similar to angina. However, the symptoms are usually more severe in nature and last much longer than angina. Typical angina should be relieved within about 15 minutes. If symptoms last longer than 15 minutes, the patient should be considered to be having an MI. Patients without a prior history of angina should be assumed to be having an MI and treated as such. Chest pain or pressure is one defining difference between MI and angina. This is often described as a squeezing or tightness. The pain may be in the center of the chest, unilateral, or even cover the entire chest, as with angina. The pain may radiate to the arms, neck, back, and frequently towards the left side, again, like angina. Other symptoms are shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting, lightheadedness, actual syncope, diaphoresis, which is sweating, and then the feeling of impending doom. Treatment of an MI is evacuation. You gotta get them out. This is the most critical priority for the patient within a suspected MI. The fastest way to the hospital is the best way. This means that you may be required to put a patient through some exertion, such as walking out in order to get him or her evacuated instead of waiting for evacuation. 
All the following treatments are temporizing measures until the patient can get definitive treatment. Steps to reduce oxygen demand of the heart muscle are important and similar to angina treatment. They should rest, reduce exposure to the cold, minimize anxiety, and go to a lower elevation. Medications, such as nitroglycerin, 0.4 milligrams, are given under the tongue. This may be repeated every 5 to 10 minutes until the pain is relieved or until three tablets have been given. After three tablets have been given, one may continue to give the nitroglycerin. However, it should be given over a longer period of time, checking the patient's rate of pulse each time prior to giving an additional dose. Again, the biggest side effect of nitroglycerin is a drop in blood pressure. If the patient has a steady rate of pulse, again, it is probably safe to give them at least one tablet. One particular type of MI, a right ventricular infarction, is very sensitive to preload, which is venous return. This means that the patient may have a significant drop in blood pressure with even one nitroglycerin tablet. Understand that this is a potential complication and ensure that you evaluate the patient's vital signs before each tablet by checking for a steady radio pulse each time. 325 milligrams of aspirin is chewed to ensure that it is rapidly absorbed. Again, aspirin is an antiplatelet agent that may decrease the formation of thrombus in the coronary arteries if that is the primary problem. Again, it is proven to reduce mortality in myocardial infarction. Clopidogrel, or Plavix, is another antiplatelet agent that works through a different mechanism than aspirin. You should give it if it's available in addition to the aspirin. Most people don't have this on them. All patients with acute MI must be evacuated from the wilderness as soon as possible. Next, we'll talk a little bit about respiratory emergencies. The inability to breathe normally is a very scary feeling and causes anxiety for many. Respiratory issues are common in the wilderness for a variety of reasons, including increased allergens, smoke from campfires, lower oxygen and drier air associated with higher altitudes, increased exertion, and increased physical and emotional stress. One type of respiratory emergency you might see is COPD. A COPD exacerbation is not frequent in the wilderness as patients with COPD generally do not venture very far into the wilderness. Patients with COPD usually know that they have it and are on medications to treat it. Patients complain of shortness of breath, similar to episodes they've had in the past. Some patients will complain of tightness in the chest uh, in addition to difficulty breathing. This can be difficult to differentiate from angina and MI, particularly when you are in the wilderness. Now, the treatment is to minimize the patient's activities and exertion. Review the patient's medicines and administer them if available and needed. Increase oxygen for the patient by descent, supplemental oxygen, or both if the opportunity is available. Short-acting inhaled medications are most helpful in relie relieving the acute symptoms. Beta agonists, such as albuterol or provental, usually are with the patient, and you should administer these. Keep in mind that an infection such as pneumonia could be a potential etiology for their symptoms. Consider antibiotics presumptively to treat for respiratory pathogens. Patients with an exacerbation of COPD should be evacuated from the wilderness. Next, we'll talk a little bit about asthma. Asthma is a chronic, non-progressive lung disorder characterized by increased airway reactivity to irritants, airway inflammation, and reversible airway obstruction. In the wilderness, asthma can be triggered by a multitude of potential etiologies such as increased strenuous activity, exposure to cold, changes in humidity, exposure to environmental allergens, exposure to camp smoke, and medication non-compliance due to running out of medications. Patients who have asthma usually know that they are habit and are usually taking medications for it. They will have shortness of breath on exertion, wheezing, or a dry cough. 
most patients will know when they are having an asthma exacerbation based on their previous episodes. They should also be able to tell you whether their current symptoms are mild, moderate, or severe in comparison to previous episodes. This is useful in terms of judging their response to treatment and the need for evacuation. If the patient can speak in full sentences, then it's probably a mild exacerbation. The treatment of mild to moderate exacerbations is administering a short-acting inhaled beta agonist, again, albuterol. They will usually have an albuterol inhaler, but if not, someone else might. Oral steroids can be taken to improve symptoms and to prevent a recurrence. You might need to evacuate a patient depending on the severity and the response to treatment. If the patient can only speak a few words at a time, then they are having a severe exacerbation. A short-acting inhaled beta agonist in repeated inhalation should be given as much as needed. An EpiPen is a significant consideration if the patient is not responding to the inhaled medications or if inhaled medications are unavailable. Steroids such as prednisone or dexamethasone must be given. Patients with severe exacerbations of asthma must be evacuated from the wilderness. Those patients with mild to moderate exacerbations must be monitored closely and should have their activities limited. They do not require evacuation unless their symptoms do not resolve with field treatment. Another respiratory condition that you can get in the wilderness is pneumonia. Pneumonia in the wilderness is a clinical diagnosis based on the patient's history and exam findings. The patient may have chest pain that can be dull or sharp, may have pleuritic component, and a cough that may be dry or productive of sputum. They will have shortness of breath and also shortness of breath on exertion. They will have fevers and chills and an increased respiratory rate. If you suspect that someone has pneumonia, you should start antibiotics even if unsure. Azithromycin or doxycycline are good first choices. Remember to keep the patient well hydrated. If you suspect pneumonia, the patient should be started on antibiotics and evacuated. Now, next are pulmonary embolisms or DVTs, which are deep vein thromboses. A pulmonary embolism, or PE, is a blood clot to the lung. Traveling a long distance with, a, with relative immobilization places someone at risk for developing a deep vein thrombosis, or DVT, and or a PE. This is an essential consideration for those who traveled great distances to begin their wilderness adventure. High-altitude climbers are more susceptible to PE, particularly if they are dehydrated. Risk factors for a DVT, or a PE, include a previous history of blood clot, DVT, PE, a long travel time to get to the destination, leg trauma while hiking or doing other outdoor activities, being tent-bound or sitting on a raft for long periods of time, oral contraceptives, particularly in women over the age of 35 who smoke, uh, people with a family history of blood clot or DVT, and a history of cancer or a history of recent surgery. Symptoms may look similar to pneumonia. They may have sudden onset of chest pain that may be dull or sharp and may have a cough that may be dry or productive of bloody sputum. There could be shortness of breath and or dyspnea on exertion, uh, an increased respiratory rate, and unilateral leg swelling. There is no specific treatment that can be given in the wilderness that will help these patients. Recognition of this potential diagnosis is the most important part of management of these patients. Aspirin could theoretically help. Descent, if at altitude, may help those with more significant symptoms. All patients with suspected PE or DVT should be evacuated as soon as possible. That does it for this first section. Um, come back for the second half of this chapter. Uh, we look forward to uh, having you.